Hello, beautiful people. In today's episode, I spoke to Michael Pack, and we spoke about online business. We spoke about his relationship to God, and we even touched on some of his favorite books. Michael's a really, really brilliant dude. Had such a pleasure speaking to him. And if you enjoyed this episode, let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Moran. Leave a review on iTunes. Or just send me an email, danny at dannymiranda.com. Really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. And without further ado, let's get to it. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a Monday morning, um, and I'm, I'm happy to finally love Mondays. <laughs> Let's go. So, Michael, for people who aren't familiar with your stuff, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Um, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically, I am, I guess, quote-unquote, an online entrepreneur, Right. Um, majority of my business comes from two different sources. One of my businesses is my agency, where I know a lot of people are wondering, okay, what I know this guy does online business. What does he actually do? Because I guess I'm not very clear on that. But what I actually do is I work with a lot of small, medium sized businesses and I run their lead gen for them. So I just fill up their pipelines, all that good stuff. Um, and I use Facebook ads, but the other side is my coaching, right? People who are looking to get into online business, they don't really know which business model to choose. And people who are interested in this kind of stuff, I teach them how to do it from scratch. Uh, so those basically on the business side, what I do. But when people ask me, tell me a little bit about yourself, that really kind of signals to me like, okay, like, what how do you identify yourself you know like what's your identity and i don't really like talking about business all the time because that's not really how i identify my myself right and so Mm -hmm. i would just say um just a young dude out here just trying to figure his way out you know (laughs) figure his way around i love it bro i love it because i think so often we can get tied down to the identity of what we're doing every day and I and make that our identity and that's a, a slippery slope right because you you have a bad day in business you have a bad week or a bad month and all of a sudden you think your identity is tied to that and you are that bad week or bad month so I like I really like the separation you're putting between that yeah yeah and honestly that's one of the hardest questions to answer you know <laughs> tell me about yourself right because there's just so many factors it's just a complicated question um and i don't believe there's a right or wrong answer you know like Mm -hmm. a lot of people will give an answer about maybe their personality a lot of people will give an answer maybe regarding their career a lot of people will talk about maybe their education maybe people will talk about their relationships you know like i am a husband i'm a son or um whatever and so i think that question is great in, in the sense that you really figure out, okay, where does this person prioritize 
what does this person prioritize in their identity you know but Mm -hmm. for me my identity is just rooted in so many convoluted things that it's just hard (laughs) (laughs) i i totally can relate and one of the things that really attracted me to you and attracted me to your content was just what I felt like the honesty that was coming across from your tweets and how you were just putting yourself out there and putting out a vulnerable side of yourself, which appeared authentic. And talk a little bit about your your decision to put yourself out there on Twitter, because that's that's not something that is easy for a lot of people. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, honestly, I'm glad you asked me that because so many people, they kind of, they come to me, they're like, hey, you know, I want to start this, you know, I want to put myself out there, but it's hard, right? And the reason why it's hard, the reason why it was hard for me personally was because I felt like my friends would judge me. And the thing is, I grew up and had a Twitter account where it was acceptable and normal to um, just post memes, you know, retweet funny stuff, um, write jokes about depression, you know, like self-deprecating stuff, and then play it off as a joke, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, my my Twitter account was in the past all about oh, commenting on like sports commenting on like pop culture and stuff like that and it was only my friends following me you know or not even just friends but people who knew me right and so i probably um that twitter account had like 270 followers let's say and honestly i really wanted to break out and do my own thing but i knew if i start tweeting that kind of content people are gonna like literally ask me like yo like why are you such a hardo all of a sudden? You know, like, why mm-hmm. are you a try hard? Right? Like, that's not you. Like, why are you talking like that? And uh, I didn't want that. Right. And so, what I ended up doing, which I would recommend to a lot of people if you struggle with that, is just to start a brand new account. Mm-hmm. You know, start a brand new account. And it's going to feel weird because you're tweeting at a wall. Right. When I had zero followers, I was literally tweeting at a wall. Um, and it was hard it was hard because i nobody that i knew followed me right so i literally had zero followers it was kind of like when i went to college in philadelphia um i i went from southern california and i knew zero people Mm -hmm. so i literally had to like make friends from scratch right so it's kind of like that navigation of like okay this is a new space i don't know a whole lot and how do I start networking with people on here? Um, and so what I did was I basically made a new account, started putting my content out. And my content, if people don't know, did not start with talking about like money or entrepreneurship or anything like that. For everyone who um, is a newer follower, which I assume is most people, uh, my content actually started off with – I was actually – involved in like the manosphere area right like people were always talking about like alpha and stuff like that you know um and i actually had a conversation with a good friend of mine do and this manosphere kind of area kind of warped us 
in a negative way. And when I started realizing, hey, this is not the kind of energy that's conducive to productivity or progress or, you know, it's just, it's, it feels kind of toxic to my soul. Mm. Um, I left because I was like, you know, this is not it. This is not why I created an account. And at the same time, as much as I'm trying to put out content, this kind of content that I'm consuming is actually changing me, you know, mm-hmm. and my views on certain things are changing and it's affecting my current relationships. People are just not happy with what's going on uh, for good reason. Right. And so I left the Manosphere and ended up on money Twitter. And now I'm here. I deleted my old account because I was like, you know what? That was kind of a statement. Like my old self has died. Right. Mm. And I deleted it. And that was when I made a full commitment because I'm all about making that full commitment. And when you have like a half foot in, half foot out, your toes are dipped inside the pool, but you're not willing to jump in kind of mentality. You're not going to really go anywhere. And so I realized um, I can't really grow if I'm still tied down to that. Oh, people are going to judge me mentality. So I deleted it, completely deleted it. I severed all of that. Honestly, if you really think about it, people don't care. Oh, you deleted your account? Congrats, you know? Like, they're not going to be like, oh, you're so lame, you deleted your account. You know? Oh, like, mm-hmm. why'd you unfollow me kind of deal? Like, that's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. So I think uh, I was getting caught up in, like, a lot of small stuff, you know? And it's like cutting ties with that. It was like letting go of the anchor so I could fly. Dude, I, I love how honest you are about your journey on this Twitter account and who you are because so many people would have likely skipped over that part about creating that that second account and not enjoying it and not not vibing with it and not feeling like that was yourself. And so to do that and to just be like, this is who I am, this is where I've been, that's really inspiring for a lot of people who are maybe – in a situation where they they don't want to be in and i commend you for that man that that's awesome and and it's like in order to get to this point where i assume you're very happy with yourself and happy with the content you're putting out maybe you needed to go through that those phases of the account with your friends the account with uh zero followers so yeah great stuff man yeah i mean one thing i learned was kind of who my real friends were mm-hmm. right because later down the line i had friends who i consider close and who are still close to me and they support me in the sense that they found out i had a second account i didn't tell them right they found out i had a second account i was trying to do this thing and they yeah. followed me right mm-hmm. and regardless of like whether they like the content or not you know they followed me supported me and to this day they're very supportive you know so so let me ask you when your friends found your account how did that make you feel and did that change the content you're putting out and did it change your mindset at all um in the beginning yeah it was it was weird because i was like dang i don't want to say something that might they might not agree with you know Mm. um because i'm pretty private I've gotten a lot better in the past couple of years in kind of opening up, becoming more vulnerable and just being more transparent. 
um, about everything, but I was, I'm like innately a very reserved private person, right? So when I get together with my friends in real life, we don't necessarily always talk about deep stuff and stuff like that, you know, because I'll only share something if I feel like it's noteworthy. And there are very few things in my life that I feel are actually noteworthy of sharing. Um, and so it, it actually creates this weird dynamic where uh, a lot of people, when they want to get to know someone, they ask a lot of questions, right? And asking someone a lot of questions is a moniker of, hey, I care, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I care about your life. I want to know more about you. But the thing about me is I don't ask people a lot of questions. I just kind of sit there, I observe, I soak in whatever they say, and I just learn that way. But I don't actively ask questions, and so people are like, yo, do you not care about me? <laughs> you know, They're like, are you not curious about my life? When I am actually a very observant and kind of perceptive person where I can learn enough by just seeing interactions and just keep constantly interacting them day to day, and I feel like that's enough for me to kind of get an understanding of what kind of person they are, you know, because I don't specifically need to know all the details and the nitty gritty of their life um, unless they choose to share that with me. I just want to know what kind of person they are, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of went off on a tangent. But back to your question, it did kind of I was like, hey, you know, I got to show up and I, I got to like kind of censor what I say mm. you know and um, I realized hey I, I shouldn't be doing that either right mm-hmm. like this this content that I'm putting out is yes it's for other people but it's also for myself because whether people like to admit it or not most of their content is them talking to themselves you know it's like I'm putting this out there but it's because it's coming from my own life experience my own insight and I kind of have to tell myself this too, right? It's like a realization will hit you and you're like, I want to tweet this. That's because it was relevant to your life. And so I felt like if I was censoring things, I'm not being transparent or honest about my life. You know, I'm not being authentic. And there might be people out there who can relate to my situation and it would be a disservice to kind of not be authentic in delivering that out there, you know? Absolutely. And what was really interesting was when going through your content was how open you were about your depression and your your battles and, and coping with and the ways you, you went about coping with. So talk to me a little bit about your depression, because that had, could be so valuable to so many people, I believe, going through a similar situation. Yeah, so that really, really stems from me caring so much about other people's opinions of me. Um, My whole life, I don't know how much you know about my life story. I don't even remember how much I've shared through my content, but I've kind of excelled in everything. Mm. You know, like I graduated from a private elementary middle school, number one of my, number one in my class, you know, graduated high school, like five sport varsity athlete, but at the same time, uh, number three in my class without ever studying and a published 
two scientific papers in high school, right? Um, went to an Ivy League school, studied neuroscience and chemistry. So people basically viewed me as this guy with infinite potential, right? They were like, hey, like I cannot wait to see what you do in the future because you're going to be so successful and you're going to change people's lives. But what that did to me was it put a lot of pressure on me because all I knew how to do was follow the rules and do it well. But when people were like, you're going to be so successful and all this stuff, I don't know what that meant, you know, and my potential, my ceiling, they're setting it high. Am I going to even reach that or am I going to disappoint them? So what ended up happening in college was uh, I went through a period of just trying to find myself. And what ended up happening was there were times when my grades would suffer, you know, because I was out maybe partying or something when I shouldn't have been. I should have been studying instead. But the thing is, I didn't know I wasn't an independent person and I couldn't make those kind of good independent decisions because my whole life I was told what to do and then I did it well. But now I'm in college. Nobody tells me what to do. It's all up to me. I have all this responsibility and I was lost. So um, things started going wrong. You know, I would get a bad test score or one of my relationships, friendship, whatever was just not going right. And I would feel like I'm just going down this path where it was a negative trajectory and I felt like I wasn't going to be able to live up to other people's expectations. And so this kept compounding and what made it worse was it became a negative cycle where um, I would feel bad, I would try to escape through drugs, alcohol or whatever and that would actually make things worse and then that would make me feel even worse and I would try to escape even harder. And it just kept spiraling out of control, you know. Um, so, yeah, that happened for probably like two years in college uh, where it was pretty bad. You know, I would literally be standing in the shower staring at the wall and I would have these thoughts like, what's the point? You know, why am I even alive? Right. What is the point of living? Like, am I just going to be working hard, become successful, you know? send my kids to good schools and die like mm-hmm. what is the point why am i working so hard why do i even care and so there actually became times where it was probably a cope where i was like you know what i don't even care right i don't care and it just became very self-destructive because i was like i don't care right nothing matters you know mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's what happened with that <laughs> I can relate, man. I can relate so strongly being there myself and being in a similar situation. So talk to me about when you saw the light in terms of you turned the ship around at some point. So what did you do and how did you do the, do it? Um, so basically what ended up happening was – I I doubled down and found my like a purpose for my life, you know. Um, and so I don't know if you know, I don't know if anyone knows, but uh, I'm I'm a pretty devout Christian. Um, and so I was actually in 
I want to say Istanbul, Turkey. Um, I was traveling around Eastern Europe at the time. I was looking at all this architecture, all this really old history, but at the same time, it was just like I needed that new environment. And I was sitting there, and I was sitting on top of a hill, and it just hit me. Like I just felt very at peace in my heart. Um, and one of the things that hit me was, dude. All your worries are just very selfish, you know. And the thing is, you're so self-absorbed that it's becoming self-destructive, right? You're unable to see that there's any bigger picture out there. And looking at all this grand architecture, you know, the Hagia Sophia, the Blue Mosque, um, all this stuff that was built um, thousands of years ago, you know, and probably took so long and so many men to build but it was like there someone had a big vision and someone went out and they created these huge things right and i was like okay and it started like kind of changing my perspective like i'm living in a bubble you know this world is so big and there's so many people so many different cultures and the thing that that hit me was i'm so small like, why am I making my problems so big, right? Mm-hmm. And I started getting perspective. When I start traveling to different places, I start seeing how other people live. I start getting perspective on like, wow, why are these people happier than I am? And they have significantly less, you know? Here in Western culture, everything is about um, more, 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 right? I need more, right? I need more, more, more. And the more you get, the more unhappy you get. Um, uh, someone told me um, there was a story and it was told by a North Korean defector right and he defected from North Korea and went to South Korea and escaped and the thing is the suicide rate in South Korea is extremely high right and the thing that he said didn't make sense to him was that the South Korean suicide rate was super high, but the North Korean one was super low, right? And what didn't make sense to him was that South Koreans live like absolute gods compared to North Koreans. Why is everyone so unhappy, right? Mm -hmm. And it was this whole thing about everyone kept chasing more, and that was the wrong thing to chase because it never fulfilled them. And it just kept rotting away because everyone has some sort of hole that they're trying to fill. But if you're filling it and chasing after the wrong things, that hole just ends up becoming bigger and bigger. And the reason, the thing is people don't realize it's becoming bigger and bigger because the wrong things that they're chasing are numbing it until it becomes too late. And it's just, you feel like things are out of control, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I just realized, man, you know, my life is actually really great. And why do I care about all these small things? You know, like there's something bigger out there. My purpose is bigger than becoming successful because other people think I should become successful. You know, I thought about that. I was like, that's lame, dude. You know, <laughs> really like I'm really crying right now and destroying my life because other people expect me to do well. And I, I feel like I can't live up to it. I, I realized then it was 
an issue on how I viewed myself. Because now, like now I have expectations that are a lot higher than everyone places on me. Mm. You know? I'm like, why are your expectations so low of me? Interesting. Like when I when I say things like this is my ambition, when people ask me, like, what what where do you see yourself? What do you want to do? And I tell them they're like, Wow, that's crazy. And that's when I realize, wow, the the script has flipped. Right. Um, but it all came from like I had to understand myself. I had to love myself, truly love myself, you know, and um, part of loving yourself comes with confronting yourself, you know, the hard truths and just kind of being vulnerable and just finding my purpose and chasing that purpose. And so I know I gave a long story, but yeah, I was just really at peace when I went to um, Eastern Europe. I was in Istanbul, um, Bulgaria, and those kinds of areas. And I was like, wow, you know, um, life is so huge and my worries are so small. So beautiful. So beautiful and so true. And I love what you said about loving yourself because that is one of the, the most important principles to me. And I think that what a lot of people might not understand about loving yourself is that loving yourself is doing difficult things, right? Loving yourself is is about pushing yourself and expanding yourself. And, and that might mean doing something difficult or doing something challenging. Loving yourself doesn't mean just sitting there and doing nothing. Loving yourself means I love myself so much that I want to create more. I want to build. I want to, and if that's what eventually happens, if you love yourself, right? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, it's awesome because when you love yourself, you can finally love other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about the way that I love is it's not reciprocal. Like I, it's, I don't care. Like, if they love me back in the same mm-hmm. way or not, you know, mm-hmm. I don't do it because it's transactional. I do it because I want to love them and that's it. No strings attached. Right. And I can't do that if I'm coming from a place where I don't love myself, you know? Yeah. Um, because what happens is when you don't love yourself, you deal with things like insecurity. Um, and the thing about insecurity is, when someone's not giving something to you and you expected it, it's going to crush you, you know? Mm-hmm. But the thing about when you love yourself, when you're confident, you can give because your cup is full and you could just keep giving because it's not full, it's overflowing, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I think that one of the biggest benefits of just being able to really confront yourself and be like, hey, I, I got to be really honest with myself, you know. Is this bitterness that I feel towards someone indicative of them being a bad person? Or like, where is that coming from, you know? Why am I jealous in this situation? Or why am I angry when someone said this, right? All these little things, it's like, I've had people say you're micromanaging every decision and emotion that you have. But I don't think that's the case, right? Because everything comes from somewhere, Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, understanding really the root of that place uh, has really 
opened me up to be able to um, love harder on other people without caring what they do in return. You know, so just, talk to me a little bit about how you've gone and and micromanage, as some people would say, those emotions. How would you how, how have you specifically done that and saw and asked yourself, where are those emotions coming from? For me personally, it's meditation and sitting with my thoughts. Right. And that's allowed me to think to myself, huh, that's interesting when you know, that happened, I thought this, and then I held on to this anger, this jealousy, or, or I was happy about this. So tell me about what's it for you? How do you find time, I guess, to to channel and think about those emotions? When do you do it specifically? Yeah, how I'll, I'll actually give you an example. Um, so when I was in high school, right, I used to mess around with girls a lot. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm just a young teenager. I'm probably hormonal. But the thing is, I used to mess around with girls a lot. And I would lead them on. You know, I would do stuff like um, not have any real intention and string them along and just leave when it gets boring. Right. Mm -hmm. Really messed up. Because and the thing is. An example I'm going to give is there's this girl. I was stringing her along, right? Um, and it's fun in games when you you don't actually have that emotional attachment to that person, you know, um, which is really messed up, by the way. I'm only I'm only sharing this because I'm just trying to be very honest. But um, so that girl, she told me, hey, straight up, like, hey, are you leading me on? You know, what's going on here? What are we? And the thing is, I hated that. I hated when a girl sacked up got the balls to just confront me straight up about something because i can't meander around that you know mm -hmm. and so what ended up happening every time that kind of stuff happened was i was like f this girl she's annoying and i would stop tech i'll ghost her right mm -hmm. and i was lying there one night and i was really i realized i'm really blaming the girl for trying to ask me what's going on and i was i was basically saying it was her fault you know mm -hmm. and why am i placing the blame on them and making myself the victim here and so to answer your question what what usually happens is i'll be lying in bed at night before bed and i'll just be lying there in my thoughts um and a lot of realizations will just hit me while i'm lying there you know and so uh, I realized, wow, I'm actually the dick, you know. I'm actually the, the person who's – because if I put myself in their shoes, dude, I would hate me. Mm -hmm. An absolute ass. So why am I mad at them? I have no right, you know. And so little stuff like that starts – I start getting this, like, self-introspection. And I'm like – I go down the rabbit hole. Like, why am I like this? Why am I playing around with other people's emotions without caring about the repercussions you know and i'm glad i caught that when i was like that young because i mean there's people that are doing that i like way too old they're way too old for that stuff right mm -hmm. so uh, i just think yeah that's i just normally just lie in bed and 
stare at the ceiling and um, put my phone on do not disturb put it away from me and i just lie there by myself yeah what's so interesting about that is like those thoughts only come when we don't have inputs coming in you know when you're in the middle of uh like going through twitter or you're watching a movie it's unlikely that you're going to find those deep insights but when you take a shower or you're just lying in bed you think to yourself about different situations and and how you i guess are involved in them and from that you gain a greater understanding about yourself and removing inputs is really just such an incredible way to gain insight about yourself yep i've always been an introspective person from the very beginning of my life and i think that came from a place of uh, insecurity and all that kind of stuff where i was always in my thoughts you know so philosophy was a big thing for me when i was younger um but yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad i was introspective as a kid and i still am because i think that kind of matures you a lot faster How do you think your introspection has helped in your success? I know my weaknesses and my strengths, right? And also, I have no insecurity anymore. I don't. I'm just very confident. Um, so what? What? how that manifests is I know what I'm capable of. And so I just I just go after it. I just go after it. There's nothing holding me back. Um, there were thoughts early on of like, oh, can I actually do a good job on this? You know, is this actually possible? Uh, and so that's coming from a place where you're not very confident, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not, not that's not abnormal. That's super normal because when you're first starting out, there's so much uncertainty, you know. But the thing is, I never really hit any sort of relative success until i was like you know what i'm just gonna put on my hard hat and just sprint forward you know um little things like even when i'm on sales calls confidence is super important you know and the thing is i can't be confident if i don't know myself if i'm not introspective because what happens is it's a house of cards and you can fake confidence but if you're not real with yourself if you're not introspective and something goes wrong your whole life will crumble because you've been Mm -hmm. living in a lie that you convinced yourself of but you if you know where you're coming from you know your core and you're stable and you're coming from a place of abundance then that makes the world of a difference right there and it's so interesting because You just mentioned abundance and we were talking before about how in the South Korea example, right, abundance and in America, of course, abundance is harmful and that people are chasing more and more. So how do you hold those two at the same time? Like you want to be coming from a place of abundance, but you also don't want to be chasing more and more and more. Yes. So abundance to me is not material right abundance to me is mental and spiritual in the sense that 
I have enough already as I am. I am enough, right? And so knowing that I am enough manifests in many ways, right? I don't take anyone's crap because, hey, I'm enough. Even though I don't actually have enough, even if I may not have the material abundance, if I believe I'm enough, I'm not going to be stepped on, right? If I believe I'm enough, I'm going to be confident. I'm going to approach every day with a smile on my face, and I'm going to be able to love harder, you know? So I think abundance is more of just, like, less of greed and more of just, like, hey, I am who I need to be, but I can become better, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing stopping me, right? I love that. I think a lot of people um, think of abundance in in the sense that it's material, and that's when things get a little hairy. When you start attaching any sort of your worth to like money or possessions or stuff like that, you're never going to be happy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're all we're all trying to be successful financially, right? But that's not the end goal that people should have. You know, what are you going to do with that money? Money is money has no inherent morality to it. You know, it's just a tool. How are you going to use that money, right? If you're chasing money for the sake of having more money, that's when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're chasing money because you feel like uh, it'll help people to respect you more, that's when things go wrong. Because that means you're coming from a place of insecurity, right? You're not coming from a place of abundance because you don't feel like you have enough. You need to show off. People don't respect you enough, you know? which means you don't respect yourself enough. Mm-hmm. It's just a reflection. And yeah. And that's something that I admire about you so much, right? Is your focus on positivity and your focus on you you're even open about it on Twitter. You say, you know, like sometimes I catch myself in a negative thought and I just close Twitter. But my timeline is is a positivity focused timeline and i love that and so talk to me a little bit about that yeah i think people um are so so impacted by the content that they consume right and not only that they're so impacted by the content that they put out and they don't realize that Mm -hmm. you put something out into the world that's affecting your own headspace, your own emotional space, your own spiritual space, you know? And so it's also, I feel responsible in a way. Cause if you look at like, I have a decent amount of followers, you know, I by no means do I think I'm like a massive account or anything, but people do see my content and people do look up to me in a sense. Right. Um, like I average probably 8 million impressions a month it's absurd so it would be kind of dumb of me to kind of ignorant of me to be like hey you know what whatever i'm just gonna put out whatever because i do have a relative amount of influence you know and so my thought is hey what would i want to read when i was starting out you Mm -hmm. know what would what kind of energy would i want to have if I were them. And so um, there's two ways to go about it. You can shame people into starting, right? Kind of like a Machiavellian tactic, which by no means 
it works, you know, but I don't think uh, it creates the right foundation for people. They're coming mm-hmm. from the wrong place. They're doing it because they're scared or fearful or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, hey, if I'm going to help them, I want to come from a place where it's like encouraging, motivating. Hey, this is possible. You just got to do this, right? Hey, you can do this. I don't care if you feel like you can't. You can. You just got to believe in yourself, you know? So I feel like there's some sort of obligation there. But at the same time, when I put out positive stuff, I feel more positive about myself as well. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how that works out. How what you put out, the thoughts that you think, the thoughts that you say, then get are it's like a never ending cycle. And the example that I love to use for this is that in March of this year, all I did was I said I love myself over and over and over again. And I did this, I still do this every day, but I did it religiously and I just tried it out. And what would happen was I was saying that to myself enough times, it started to get reflected back to me in the external world. And no one knew I was saying this to myself and it just was. And so, yeah, I I just love your point about how what you're putting out there and what you're thinking and is going to get reflected back to you in in the external world. Yes, 100%, 100%. So you mentioned before your relationship with God and you said you're a devout Christian. And I want to touch on this a little more and go a little further. What has your relationship with God been like throughout all your life, like throughout college and depression versus now? Uh, yeah, just talk to me a little bit about that. Um, I felt like I knew God majority of my life, um, but I didn't really know God until he pulled me out of depression. Mm. Um, uh, the thing about there, to me, there's there's a huge difference between head knowledge and heart conviction. Mm. You can know something without being completely convicted of it. And so I knew God was real. I knew, you know, I was a Christian, whatever. But I didn't feel that conviction. Like, this is real. I feel it, you know. He's here with me. Like, I didn't feel that until I got pulled out. Because, yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't grow up with a lot of hardships in my life, you know. And the thing about Christianity, it's all about um, when you hit your lowest, right, you're still not alone. You know, the thing about Christianity, it's all about Jesus came, God sent Jesus down his son, right? Like, um, and basically became a human, which was in a sense degrading himself. But he did that out of love, right? And not only that, he served people, even the people who society doesn't deem as um, the best, you know, prostitutes or whatever. Um, and ended up dying for them. The thing is, people didn't deserve that. Right? And so, that kind of love, 
I guess they in Latin it's called agape love, right? It's like three kinds of loves, and agape is kind of like that non-transactional, um, the love that you give no matter what, regardless. Mm-hmm. And so, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that love until I had nowhere to turn. There was nowhere for me to go. And that's when I felt it. Like Jesus was calling me like, hey, you know, I'm still here. I still love you. I hold the palm, I hold the world in the palm of my hands. You're going to be okay. And that really put so much peace in my heart. Um, because I truly believe God created the universe, created all this stuff. And if he really did all that, and I profess that he did, and I profess that I believe that. And why am I worrying about such trivial stuff? I'm contradicting myself there. Right? Mm-hmm. If I say that I truly believe in God, I truly believe Jesus died and rose again, why am I why am I stressed about a bad test score? The man literally rose from the dead and is saying he's right there with me throughout my life. Why am I why am I stressing about these things? Because there was a, a dissonance between what I said I believed and what I actually believed. Right? So I always had that head knowledge. I, I know the Bible inside and out. Doesn't make me a Christian. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't think I truly became Christian until I became really convicted. When I really experienced um, God's love in my life and how it radically changed me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a long, that's a long story short. Isn't that crazy? And so interesting how it's in your lowest points. Do you really understand the lessons that you were learning your entire life or you just, they all come to you all at once in, in quote unquote, your darkest days. I, I find that so fascinating. Yeah. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about when like people, like maybe even your parents, they've been telling you stuff and you, you take it as a fact but then one day it hits you and you're like whoa they were right Mm. you know it's like you knew they were right but then one day it hits you and it's like they were right i i understand it now because i experienced it rather than it's just knowledge sitting in my head advice sitting in my head you know yeah and when i feel that you can't go back yep absolutely what i've been so fascinated by is is all the things that my parents have told me that I've only recently realized that they were saying the correct thing and that for 20 plus years I was just being ignorant and and just being thinking that I knew the best way and and the the older and older I'm getting the more I realize oh mom was right about this dad was right about this so it's just interesting how we have these ideas like we're we're smarter we know better and really the life experience that our parents have if if they are you know good parents which i was fortunate enough to be raised by as well it's like their lessons are way more true than we initially think oh yeah 100 percent, man <laughs> parents used to be like yo you don't know what you're talking about trust me we've been where you are and <laughs> i would think things like no you don't know me you know, you didn't grow up with technology. You didn't grow up. You don't understand me, right? And I used to think all these things. And I look back and I'm like, dude, I was stupid. 
and I'm still stupid, yeah. you know, yeah. like I'm still going to rebel against things and be like, no, I know, you know, I know thing is, I don't know. Right. Absolutely. And the crazy thing about this and the interesting thing about this is that you are 23, 24, 25. I don't know how old you are, but in 10 years, hopefully you look back at yourself. Hopefully I look back at myself and say, you know, we were so dumb at this age. You know, we had some things right, but you know, like almost, I can't believe I was so young and naive or, but that's the growth and that's a good thing. And you shouldn't, no one should be looking at a picture of themselves and thinking like, I'm ashamed of where I've been. The person you are today is as a result of the person you were, the person who you cringe at today or you want to cringe at is the person who gave way to this current version, which hopefully you're happy with yourself. So like you listening, hopefully. So yeah, that that's what I got to say on that. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be really weird, weird connection to that, but Twitter, right? Like if you don't look back on your content and you're like, whoa, then you probably haven't been growing, you know? Yep. So the thing about hype theory, shameless plug here, shout out Sammy. The <laughs> thing about hype theory is it has a, a feature called evergreen, right? Where you can choose tweets and in the time slots that you don't actually have tweets, it'll automatically retweet an evergreen post, right? So everyone loves this feature, but when I went in to like put posts into my evergreen pool, mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I know these tweets all got a lot of engagement and whatever. I don't even like them anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't it's a great sign. Them, right? So I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to do about that, but. Um, <laughs> New content, baby. <laughs> I mean, my content's always coming out new. And I think yeah. that's an issue that a lot of accounts face when they stop growing and mm-hmm. they people stop engaging with them because their content never changed after years, which tells me they haven't grown as a person. Yeah. It's, it's interesting looking back on your old tweets and I'm so grateful for having this Twitter account because I started it in June of 2018 and I was able to look back and see how my mindset shifted and evolved and what things I valued and what things I, I thought were important enough to tweet. And I'm, I'm still doing that. And it's going to be so fascinating and interesting to see looking back, like, you know, 2025, 2030, what are the things that I was thinking that were important? And that's why I recommend everyone journal. And cause you know, putting yourself out there, and tweeting or having a brand of any sort online that's personal to you, that's difficult and that's not for everyone. And I don't recommend everyone do that. But what I do recommend is everyone should be journaling. Get yourself to journal for five minutes a day. And when you look back, you'll have a fresh pair of eyes. You're looking at yourself in third person almost, which allows you to evaluate the things that you had blind spots on it and you have now new knowledge when you're looking back on that. So yeah, what we're doing, you and me, Michael is, is putting it out online. We're journaling online and, 
and putting it out there for the world to see because that's what my Twitter is. That's what your Twitter is, it seems like. It's a journal, and that's really cool because it, it allows you perspective when looking back. 100%. It is my journal. You know, it really is. I just – I go out there. I have a thought. I feel like, oh, if people are going to benefit from this, you know. I just send it out, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you now have, I think, something like 20,000 followers – and hopefully people are listening to this. You have 50,000 or 100,000 if that's what your intention is. But the the thing that comes with having 20,000 followers, I would assume, is is having people hating on your content. And when that content is so personal to you, how do you deal with that emotionally? And how do you allow yourself not to get hurt by those comments and and concerns yeah i'm gonna be i'm gonna tell you a little something i had when i i had worse comments when i was at like four or five thousand followers than i do now Mm. um and the thing is people were like hey your your content is just way too negative or your content just sounds like an angry person and I, mm. I took that personally, but when I did interest, like when I, when I did introspection, I realized, dude, I'm being kind of negative. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm calling people broke for this, calling people <laughs> broke for that. Like, you know, it might be true. Yes, they might be broke. They might be fat, whatever. That's not to me a productive way of changing someone's life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in that case, they were right. And I actually, that's part of the reason why I am pushed to put more positive content out now. Because those comments, I took it personally, but I realized, dude, this is not an attack on me. I'm the one that needs to change, right? This is not what I stand for. If this Mm -hmm. is the kind of vibe that they're getting, that means I'm doing something wrong. And so I internalized that all. I changed, and I don't really get I don't get any backlash on any of my content unless something is like borderline, I guess, not alpha or simpy, you know? Like when I say, hey, I'm going to give my wife everything, people are like, oh, you're such a simp. In my head, I'm like, dude, really? You're saying that it's, <laughs> you're saying that it's alpha to provide, be a provider, be able to provide everything, but then when it comes to providing, you don't want to do it? You know, that doesn't make any Mm -hmm. sense to me. So I just ignore it. Like, okay, right? You can call me a simp, but I'm happy. I know I'm not, you know? I don't care about this alpha this, alpha that stuff. Yep. So whatever, you know? um, But yeah, Do always texts me when he sees a post that I put up and he's like, dude, get ready for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... People can go crazy with this stuff, alpha, simp, you know, all this this lingo. For those who have no idea what we're talking about, it's it's for the best. Um, and it's it's just it can be too much and it can be, you know, like you said, weighing on your headspace. But the thing that I want to highlight is how you took that negative content and or that negative feedback and instead of identifying with it or getting upset at the people, which you might have at first, you were able to put some space in between yourself and the comment 
and quote unquote improve. You know, you you improved your content, improved your mindset, and, and used that negativity, their their negative comments and your own negative to become better. And that's an amazing thing when you're able to use that feedback as a mechanism for growth. Oh yeah, dude. Like yeah. I and when I was first starting out on Twitter, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I didn't know how to grow anything. So everything that I did was purely based on like observation and testing, you know? And so I was kind of psychotic to the point where I was like, um, I realized, okay, CJ, right? Chris Johnson, if he retweets one of your things, automatic explosion. Like, like that guy is like, his retweet is worth so much more than anyone else's I've ever seen. And so I was like, I started studying. I was like, okay, how do I get this guy to engage with me? What kind of content does this guy like? Right. And I realized you have to reply to CJ's tweets within less than like three minutes or something. If you want a chance at him seeing it and replying or something. Right. And I was like that little kind of obsession with like, okay, what do I need to do? I started strategizing and stuff like that. Obviously I don't do that anymore because I realized the best way is just to put out good content. <laughs> but when you have zero followers and you're speaking right. to a wall, you need a catalyst. You can't just speak to a wall with good content and no big account sees it. Right. So shout out CJ. Give you a, a little plug right here. But yeah, his, I was like, dude, his retweet means a lot. So how do I get that? Right. So little things like that, like I will read comments, I will do stuff and I will be like, okay, what can I learn from this? Everything's about, I look at it, whether it makes me feel good or bad, what can I learn from it? How do I turn everything into a positive? Mm. And for a little Twitter growth tip, that, that was a great growth tip for people who are just starting out on Twitter and want to grow their account is commenting on big accounts and comment on accounts that you enjoy following, you that you see yourself in them in some way. For an example, I, I do this with James Clear sometimes. James Clear is an author who I really like, a writer, and he'll have a tweet, and then I'll, I'll just give my two cents under it, and I'm trying to be, be as valuable as possible to the person reading. And what you'll find is that most people don't care enough to try to create a really valuable tweet. So if you do give that little extra effort, sometimes it could pay off in a lot of extra exposure that you might otherwise never have. So I really like that tip, Michael, and that's a great, great idea. Yeah, yeah. And you can ask me anything and I'll, I'll just give you my complete unadulterated thoughts on them. <laughs> and, and that's what's amazing about your Twitter account in particular is because I feel like I know you so well. And that's the craziest thing about Twitter to me is like, me and you have never had a conversation before this, but I feel like I know your story. I know where you've been. I know you, where you've come. And it's it's the most absurd thing to me. So like, why did you go into Twitter as opposed to Instagram or YouTube or was it, tell me, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I like writing. Is yeah. that it? The biggest yeah. difference is the medium, right? Mm -hmm. Instagram, pictures, YouTube videos, Twitter, writing. Yep. And so people always ask me, hey, you're, you're a great writer, Michael. You know, like how? 
and <laughs> I, I don't view myself as a good writer. Yeah, I've never, I've never, you know, read how to write better or anything like that. The only thing I've done is read and write, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, you start realizing what kind of writing resonates with people more and stuff like that, and naturally everything like the way that you write and everything starts changing mm-hmm. you know like i like i used to write 15 page papers for fun off of movies <laughs> I, I would watch a movie and i used to write a paper dissecting the movie for fun and so when people tell me i can't get better at writing what do i do i have no words because i know they're not willing to put in the kind of work that i did you know so yeah I, and I also have stories like that. And as a fellow writer, I, I completely relate. But were you doing that for fun? Were you doing that to be a better writer? Were you doing that because that was your natural inclination, writing those 15-page papers? I was doing it for fun, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I have a paper on um, one of the Spike Lee movies, I forget. But there was the one from – it was based in Bed-Stuy. Um, I wrote one on Godfather Part Two. That one was really crazy because um, I didn't just write about the movie, but I compared it to Godfather One, and then I tied it all into cinematic culture in like the eighties and nineties, and why it changed everything. It was just crazy paper. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing this forever, basically, and now you're just giving us those thoughts. I've been writing for a while. Yeah. And I never viewed myself as a good writer until yeah. people started saying you're a good writer. And I still don't. Yep. I still think, dude, there are so many better writers than me. Yep. You know, just because you read a couple of my tweets, that doesn't make me a good writer. Yep. Dude, but, I, I relate to that so strongly. And I think it's because we consume such great writers. Like if you if you are writing and you are reading all the time, you're consuming information of the highest level and that leads you to compare yourself to the highest level and that leads you to think like oh i'm not really that good but someone else who's not consuming at that high level is going to be thinking oh my god that's amazing and yeah it's just always a reminder to to raise your standard for what you're consuming yeah the thing is when you start learning something um like the way that I personally learn is I would read a ton of books and automatically let me explain it this way. The way that you talk is probably um, the environment and how everyone talks around you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's because you don't know anything else. So if everyone's talking around you a certain way, that's the only way you've ever heard people talk. That's how you're going to talk. Right. The thing is, when I was growing up, I used to read like starting like when I was like four or five years old, I was reading at least three books a week. Mm. Like the amount of books I've read in my life is absolutely insane. I read the Lord of the Rings trilogy in kindergarten. You know, that's insane because I I read it now. It's crazy dense. You know, it's a hard read. Right. Wow. Like and the thing is. I read so many of these books that that was what when I'm writing a paper, like those kinds of like writings are in my head, whatever I've been reading. And that's the only thing I know. 
and it's all very sophisticated writing styles, right? And so, like, when I'm taking the SAT in high school, and I'm reading a sentence, and it's asking me what's the correct grammatical structure, it's so obvious to me. I don't need to study grammar. I've read so many books that, like, I already know correct grammar structure because I can spot it from a mile away because I've just read it so many times. It would just sound really wrong. Something would just sound really off to me, and then that means it's wrong, you know? Yep. And so yeah, it's that, the same thing. Like, you want to get better at writing, don't just write more, read more. Yeah. It's great advice. So tell us, what are some of your favorite books? What are some of the things that, the things you've consumed that just blown you away? Oh, I love um, Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, man. I love that book. And the reason I love it is because it is just, it is a, it's a man who is suffering and he's asking the, the difficult questions about life, mm. you know, and at the same time, it's interwoven into an actually good story. So questions involving like when a child dies, do they go to heaven or hell? Like what happens to them? Or why do, why do children suffer? Why do kids die? What, what happens? Like those kinds of questions that are just really heavy and deep, you know, but it's interwoven in an, to me, a very exhilarating story. Right. And this was written right after Dostoevsky just lost his child. Oh. And so it, it's like a crime detective kind of book. So it's pretty fun, but it's, it's, it asks really tough life questions that just, Sometimes I sit there, I close a book, and I just start thinking. You know, my mind drifts. Mm. And so I love that. It makes me tired, but I love it. <laughs> well, that's a book that I've heard recommended so many times. I can't even remember who else recommended it, but I definitely got to check that one out because it it's just come up again and again. So, 100%. Yeah, so you're... I, what I want to know is you, you've always been a big reader. You said since the time you were four or five, was there ever a time in your life when you stopped reading? Yes. High school. And why? High school, but more college. Uh -huh. Because Me the too. thing is, I truly believe people should not be forced to read certain books. I truly believe the thing that people should be given are books that they enjoy reading. And once they build that kind of enjoyment of reading, then they start branching out on their own and reading other stuff. Yep. Because when you your first reaction to reading is reading something that you hate, you're going to hate reading, right? Yep. And so what ended up happening was I was just forced to read so many books I didn't like in high school and even college that I was like, dude, I'm losing my love for reading. And it just doesn't seem like something that in my very um, not, almost non-existent spare time, I would go out of my way to do. I'd rather do something else, you know? Yeah. Um, I was always really busy, right? Like, I, I, I was in the orchestra. I played violin. I played football, basketball, soccer, you know, uh, I did international tournaments like junior olympics for taekwondo you know i was doing so much stuff like i was 
doing extra research at a museum and I was just I'm an Eagle Scout, right? Like you you name it, I've done it and I've done it to the max. <laughs> like like no joke, you know? So I don't I didn't have a lot of spare time and I was like, you know what, in my spare time I'd rather do something else. Because my love for reading kind of dipped a little bit in the school system when I was forced to read things that didn't like my sophomore year of high school, I was forced to read Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. Um, great book. But at that time, I was like, why the heck am I reading this? Mm. You know? I, I think that's so important, especially the point of reading something at the right time. Because you read something at, at point A in your life. Like, I'll give you a, a tangible example. I, I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle uh, three years ago. And three years ago, I was just like drinking all the time, drugs, everything, you know, that same situation you talked about. And I was like, what is this? I I couldn't get past the first chapter. And then when I read it in the past six to 12 months, I was like, oh, my God, it, it all makes sense. Like when you read a book at a certain time, it has to the right book is only going to reach you at the right time and you're only going to. When the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears and the teacher be, is sometimes the book. So I, I think that's such such an excellent point where you have to make sure – and you, you never know. But if you read a book at the wrong time, it can really hinder your perception of reading in general and that book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think there's a right time and place to read something, you know, 100%. Yeah. So give us, do you have any other book recommendations for, let's say someone, I don't know, starting off in, in business or someone in, in high school, like what books would you recommend them? The, still the, the brothers Kamerlov? Karamazov. That's more of like a philosophical book. It's not going to be any sort of self-help. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but I honestly, in my life, I have never read a self-help book. Um, so I would not be the correct person to ask about that. I do have, um, recommendations based off of suggestions that of people that I trust, right? Like atomic habits by James clear. Mm -hmm. I've read a couple chapters of that. Incredible. You know, I think he mm -hmm. does a really good job of distilling a lot of the people in our space that are performing at a high level, a lot of our thoughts into very, simple sophisticated concise thinking mm -hmm. right um the audiobook of can't break me by goggins incredible right incredible um, it's incredible it's just gonna get you amped dude you're gonna it's run gonna through a wall <laughs> exactly man it's just that's like, how i felt like, after reading it <laughs> it's a great dude goggins major respect um but yeah in terms of like skill stuff i if you are starting out in business or in high school and you just want to read some stuff that's going to really help you in the future copywriting books right copywriting books um great leads is a good one i just reread one called kick ass copywriting secrets uh secrets to a marketing rebel um if you're more advanced, Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. But it's really dense. Would not recommend it if you're just starting now. But yeah, 
I honestly, I if I'm to be completely honest, I don't. Most of my learning just came from trial and error experience. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I would read something, not completely understand it, and just go out and try it, and then figure it out. Right? I would ask people questions if I really couldn't figure it out. What I would really recommend to people, if you need help, get help after you've tried. Because mm-hmm. don't be that person who, when you have a question, you always go to someone else without actually trying it for yourself because your growth rate and your learning curve is going to be extremely stifled. Um, I have people coming to me asking me Googleable questions, right? And as much as I I still want to answer it, I'm not going to because it's not going to be good for you, you know, because there is a certain amount of adaptability and resilience that you need to have as uh, a sort of entrepreneur or some sort of high performer. And if you can't go out and um, find those simple questions, then um, you need to build that habit first mm. or else it's just going to be a rough path, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's my spiel on that. Well, I love it, Michael. It's been such, such a pleasure to speak with you. And I'm, I'm so grateful you took the time out and, We will certainly do this again in the future sometime. Yeah, 100%, man. It was so nice talking to you. It was the first time we met, um, but just really easy to talk to you, really easy to just be open. So I really appreciate that, Danny. Uh, Awesome. Well, thank you for the kind words. And where can people find you for those who are, are unfamiliar? On Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's at Pack P-A-I-K underscore Michael. And yeah, go follow this man because he has some incredible, incredible content. Yes, sir. And go follow Danny if you're somehow watching this podcast and still not following him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time, Michael. All right. No problem, man. That was my interview with Michael Pack, and hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, let me know at Hey Danny Miranda on Twitter. Feel free to sign up for my newsletter, Tuesday Treasure at DannyMiranda.com. And hope you guys have a great one. Until the next one, see you soon.